James Sherman, Chicago playwright, your brand new play, Chagall in School, is having its very first preview tonight here at Theater Wit on Belmont in Chicago. How do you feel? How do you think it's going to go? Uh, first question, how do I feel? I'm excited. I'm nauseous. I'm, I'm thrilled that this thing has come to life from the little idea I had four years ago. Um, and what was the second question? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 16th year, number 821, Chagall in School. James Sherman's new play, Chagall in School, opens this Friday night at Theatre Wit in Chicago in a production by the Grippo Stage Company, directed by Georgette Verdon. James is a founding member of the Tony-winning Victory Gardens Theatre's Playwrights Ensemble, and in a fun but noisy bar after his very first preview performance, and at a table next to the celebrating actors, James and I talked about how it went and how plays like Chagall in School come to be. James, there were no fatalities. I count that as a win. Yes, it was. Um, there were maybe a cue or two that need a little tightening, but I was really happy with the way it's going, and they're getting the hang of it, and the response was lovely. So, um, and that's all. That's all one can hope for. I mean, there's a there's an expression I love from Watership Down, where rabbits caught in headlights go tharn. T h a r n. That's how your actors looked at the very end. <laughs> like, oh my God, we got through this. Yes, we made it. We made it. Yes. I'm fascinated by the process. You've uh, uh, you've been working on the play for a few years. The pandemic gave you more time to work on it. God knows. You've now seen it on stage in front of a paying audience for the very first time. What did you learn? What did you, I mean, be as honest as you care to be. What did you learn? What did you want to change? Did, what, does it make you want to switch careers? I mean, what are the, what are the what's the plethora of feelings you're going through? Yeah, all of those things. Yeah. Um, as as I said in my uh, you know curtain speech, the audience is the essential element, and it's crazy because you get it last. Yeah. You know. Right. So mostly, I'm just trying to get the feeling in the room. Yeah. And fortunately, I felt like the audience was engaged. So that's number one. You know. Um, I think you're right. Thank you. Good. <laughs> and. Um, um, and there are th- there aren't like really big adjustments. There are things here and there where I think, okay, the audience gets it, so maybe I can tighten this up a little bit. You know, th- there's some repetition maybe. You know, um, so through the previews now, we'll, we'll find those things out and make those adjustments. And so and so then, what what was the impetus to write the play? What was the impulse? The impulse was. Uh, First of all, just seeing an exhibit at the Jewish Museum in New York called Chagall Malievich Lisitsky, and it, which was in 2018. I just happened to see it and found it fascinating. Bought the book in the gift shop, you know, and thought this is an amazing story. And I know who Mark Chagall is because I am a Jew, and 
Um, I know who he is, and I'm not a Jew. But this particular story about his young life when this school in VTAP started and these other characters of Malievich and Luziski, I thought was just an interesting story that wasn't well known. And then I started connecting to Chagall as a character. Because while I'm much older than he is in the play, this feeling of being out of fashion is something that we can relate to. Yeah. You know, which leads to do you try to do what one thinks is marketable or do you try to be true to your own authentic self? And that is what I, I hope you got is what the story is about. Well, and, and, and were you, con you must have been, but were you, were you conscious of the fact that these events are taking place exactly a hundred years ago in a world in which that seems enormously similar to our own, full of revolution and pandemics, etc.? If you say so. <laughs> yes, one can't help but notice, yeah. you know, yeah. um, the parallels. So that also got me excited. You know, it, it did take a good couple of years of research to learn about all these characters, sure, yeah. to make the choice of... Obviously, there were other faculty people. There were a couple hundred students, you know. So, how to condense the story, and how to tell it, and 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 find the shape of the piece itself that goes back and forth between the faculty lounge, you know, and, and the domestic scenes. Um, so that it was just a, a really a fascinating process. I'm still learning about it, and and how. I'm, I'm sure, like you, anybody who has spent time in a faculty lounge can relate to those scenes yeah. where everybody has their idea of how things should be run. Right. You know. Well, and 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 you set up. You set up that. Well, I don't even know if you set it up. Here's what I took. Here's what I took from it, was that you have this. You have the villain of the piece, basically, is this school of thought called suprematism. Suprematism. Suprematism, which I took comfort in, that I had never ever heard of it, which made me think, oh good, this asshole's gonna get his ass handed to him, and the bad guy will be vanquished, which is in fact is what happens, right? What happened? Yes. Um, it it was very significant in its time, but for some reason, maybe because he died young, but even by the end of his life, yeah. he, he kind of let it go yeah. because it really didn't catch on. It was it was kind of a fad yeah. in its in its time. And it is something that I've talked to many art majors and historians that have never heard of it. Nobody knows from yeah. it. Nobody knows from it. Um, I loved how you connected the revolution in art, in painting, that was happening. Uh, it was What's happening at the same time as this revolution in acting training and theater in Stanislavski. D and I were literally talking about this on the drive down because I just read Isaac Butler's book on the method. And a, a, a subject about which I have very little interest because it's abstract and wanky. Right. Uh, much of which, which is why I wanted to throttle Malievich because he is abstract and wanky. And I just wanted to beat the shit out of that guy. Yeah. Not the actor, he was terrific. Right. Not your writing, that was fun. It was the character. I mean, I think you, I was feeling the way I'm supposed to feel about that character. But I but I loved that idea, and even ultimately the, the, the moral, the lesson, the whatever, the final thing that Chagall says, which is like, it's got to come from you. Whatever it is. Right. Whatever the school 
school of thought is. Is that something that you went into the process knowing you wanted to say, or was that a thing you discovered that you wanted to say as you got there? That's a great question. I, I think, it, you know, what, one thing I learned as a writer, you'll appreciate this, um, something I learned from Isaac Bashevis Singer, the uh -huh. novelist short story writer. I heard this interview with him years ago, and he said he asks himself three questions. One is, do I have a story to tell? Two is, is it a story worth telling? And three is, am I the one who should tell this story? They're great questions. Which is great, right? So I have this interesting story, right? And, uh, you know, just speaking of Stanislavski, I learned in my research that Bella, who did come from a nice background, did go to college, did study with Stanislavski. So I had that, but then it becomes something that I discover along the way in the writing of the material that this is something that can be revealed and made use of. So as I'm going along, then I'm finding out what the play is about as I go along, just like hopefully the audience will. Well, and it's a great d dramatic device, too, is that you take a well-known character and, and write a play about him that leads him to his sort of lowest moment. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, which again is, is one of the things that fascinated me is this idea that someone who we know as being very famous was at a point in his life where he thought it was over for him. Mm. What's it like, just from a technical standpoint now, you've had your first preview, presumably you'll have your opening night in a week or so. Right. How many, how much changes can you make, just physically, technically, rules-wise with the cast? I mean, forget about how many you want to make. Um, what are you allowed to make? And is there a point at which you have to freeze it just so the actors can do the show? I have been known in past plays to make significant changes in previews okay. based on what I learned from having the audience in the room. Um, this one I'm f honestly feeling pretty good about. I, I don't think the adjustments are going to be huge. It's not going to be like, oh, we're taking out the dream ballet, you know, <laughs> or, yeah. you know, cut the orgy scene, it's not working, you know, we're, we're not going to be doing anything large like that. Hi, I'm Lewis Byard, the author of such novels as The Pale Blue Eye, Mr. Timothy, and Jackie and Me. And you, you lucky cuss, are listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? The Reduced Shakespeare Company returns to touring next month, performing Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel in Rolla, Missouri on September 21st, Bloomington, Illinois on September 23rd, Jasper, Indiana on September 25th, and the Wharton Center in East Lansing, Michigan on November 9th and 10th. Check out the touring page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed at Reduced for the latest information. Now back to my conversation with James Sherman, whose new play, Chagall in School, opens this week at Theatre Wit in Chicago. You were talking about your improv years earlier, before we started recording. How did you become a playwright? What was that journey like for you in the theatre? Did you start as a performer, as so many of us do? 
and then you realize, oh, I don't know, what, what was that like? Well, I did start as an actor okay. and uh, was in the Second City Company, and so started with improv. Um, but then, actually, Joy Sloan used to brag about me because she said I was the only one who ever left Second City and then went to graduate school, <laughs> which I did to be an actor, and then moved to New York and studied with Uta Hagen for five years, and I really wanted to be an actor. And But along the way, got more and more interested in the writing, okay. and so basically, I got a lot of encouragement to write from people who saw me act. <laughs> Congratulations! So, so, um, so I was able to make that that transition, um, actually, a number of years ago, and I think it was it was the right move. Well, but everything the thing is, I never took a playwriting class because I was acting. So everything I believe about playwriting comes from my training as an actor, mostly influenced by my improvisational training and my training with Uta Hagen. Well, and this is what we were talking about on the on the drive down here tonight, the relationship to to the method and its various disciples and offshoots and improv. You know, the, about, about being in the moment, about being truthful to the moment, about following your character wherever it goes. It's it's a different set of muscles improvising your, making up your lines and memorizing your lines. Um, but, and so is that related for you, those sorts of trainings, um, those sort of actor trainings? Oh, very much. Um, I mean, first of all, I, you know, I don't know how anybody else does it, but as a playwright, once I have an idea of the characters and the relationships and what's the scene about, then the, the first draft is me just improvising, yeah. just playing all the roles, yeah. you know, and seeing what comes up based on when you come on stage, you got to come on stage for a reason, <laughs> you know, hopefully something is going to happen and you're going to have an effect on someone else, you know, so that's how the, pl the plays always begin for me. Interesting. Well, and, and you were, and am I right that you were part of Victory Gardens' inaugural company of, of playwrights? Right. We, uh, the Victory Gardens Playwrights Ensemble, um, I was very fortunate. I had an artistic home at Victory Gardens for 25 years, so the first play I did with Dennis Ocek was in 1985. Um, the, the Playwrights Ensemble was codified in the mid-90s, um, which which was great because at the time we were thinking, well, Steppenwolf is the art, the actor ensemble. Goodman is basically about the director. So Victory Gardens was about the playwrights. Um, and it was that that led to that night when Dennis and Marcy and Sandy Shin were on stage getting the Regional Theater Tony Award. I love to throw that in. <laughs> well, let me ask you this as a technical thing. You know, playwright to playwright. I wrote two plays during the pandemic. I can't get any one of them produced. What the hell, man? How did you do that? Congratulations. Thank you. I'm, I'm very fortunate because uh, I'm working with Charlie Grippo of Grippo Stage Company, and this is the third play we've done together. Okay. So, I, I was lucky to have a home with at Victory Gardens. Now I'm lucky to have a home with Grippo Stage Company. And is and is the process um, has the process changed for you over the years, or has it changed because now we're out of a pandemic? In terms of getting a play produced, getting it cast, getting it seen, do you do preliminary readings? Do you just mount a production and see what happens? You know, you know what I'm asking. Yeah. Um, once I had what 
I thought was uh, presentable. You know, he did did a couple of readings. You know, got good positive feedback. Uh, Grippo was interested, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, we're not getting any younger. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, yes, I could spend the next few years submitting it and showing it around. You know, um, let's just do it. <laughs> so I've been really fortunate and got the support to to get it up on its feet. What did the audience response tell you tonight, or did it tell you anything? I mean, did they did we react the way we wanted you wanted us to? Sure. I mean, the, the key is, um, will people be interested in the story? And I'm and I'm pretty confident this is a story that is new to people, um, and that the the the, the, uh, the arc of the story is very clear. It starts with you know with a celebration. The, everybody's all excited. And it ends like Cherry Orchard, and everybody's leaving, yeah. <laughs> leaving town, you know. How Jacobian. Right, yeah. 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 Um, which is why I had to throw in the Chekhov reference. Yeah, very good. Right? Even I knew that was yes. a Chekhov quote. <laughs> um, um, so, like I said, I don't think there's there are big adjustments to make, but a lot of little things, you know, in, term, in terms of, and I'm sure if you ask the actors right over there, that they learned stuff tonight, too, you know, even with the first audience, and we're going to have... I think six more previews before the actual opening. So they've got a, a good amount of time now to see where things need to be picked up. you got to give, give the audience a little time to catch up or not let them get ahead. So all of those little things that you can only learn when the audience is in the room. I'm literally looking at your actor playing Marsha Gall right over there, and he's enormously charming. So that's a great find. You've got a great, charming, leading actor. Yeah, and, and because I had seen him in another play that had nothing to do with the subject matter or anything at all. I was just watching it and I went, I gotta, I gotta see if I can get him into audition. I'm always intrigued by how plays change from script to script. So what, what is the biggest thing that you learn from the first draft to this draft? Great question. The, the challenge in doing a play that is based on a true story is to make it so it's not a book report. You know, which which I've seen, and I'm sure you have too. You know, um, to not just show off all I've learned, right? But to keep it steeped in the characters and the relationship and the behavior and the things that are going to engage the audience. So that's been my constant process. There's probably still a bit more. Um, book stuff that I need, but I'll find that as I go. I was curious, because you mentioned, the characters mentioned content dictates form. And I was, that immediately sparked a flash in my head about, oh, and the play is about different approaches to art and different philosophies. And yet the play itself, dramaturgically, is sturdy and old-fashioned, if I can use those words, in in a positive way. Well, let me put it this way. Um, I did once I decided to tell this story, yeah. I said, okay, I want to tell this story, and it takes place in Russia in 1920, so we've got Russian music, and they're dressed like Russians, but when they start to talk, they're doing a James Sherman play, you know, so I'm going to tell this story in my way.
That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing, which I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. For more information about James Sherman's lovely and funny Chagall in school, go to grippostagecompany.com. It runs from now through October 8th, 2022. Then send us your revolutionary art via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com or visit my website, theshakespeareans.com. Thanks as always to Inferioritist Matthew Croak, Web Services by Ginger Power Limited, Music by John Weber and Garage Band. A random fan shout-out this week goes to Carla Wolf. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to best-selling novelist Lewis Byard, who also had a play, his first, called Sheboygan, produced at the Capitol Fringe in Washington, D.C. this summer, and I hope it will get many more productions. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe, get your boosters, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Tishner, 821-2463rds of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Thank God it wasn't four or five acts and three and a half hours. It was 90 fleet minutes. Get in, get the laugh, get out. Bravo, sir. Thank you very much. Yes, we, we like those too. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. So much less. So much less. So much less. So much less.